to Humans of Magic, the podcast that gets deep and personal with your favorite magic gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. This is episode 72 with Autumn Burchette. In this episode, we talk about Autumn's rise as a magic player, their lifelong love of gaming, and life in recent pandemic times. I really enjoy conducting the interview because Autumn just opened up about everything, whether it's their current mental health, anxieties about the future, and just all kinds of things going on in the United States, in Europe, and worldwide. To top it off, Autumn is just has this quiet confidence about them. Just It's this great combination of honesty, confidence, and humility. All in all, I really enjoy talking to Autumn, and I hope that you get something out of this conversation as well. By the way, I just thought I would mention, I don't usually talk about myself or my work that much in the context of the podcast. I really just like to let the podcast or the guests do the talking, but just wanted to share a little bit about what's going on in my part of the woods right now. I'm equally as affected by the pandemic as everyone else, and I'm also affected by some of the recent current events. It's always on my mind. To be honest, I think like a lot of you, I have been feeling less than great. And that's actually part of the reason why I've continued doing this podcast. See, last year when I was releasing the Humans and Magic book, I kept doing the podcast because I thought it was honestly a way to promote the the book because the the podcast and the book kind of go hand in hand. But I don't really have anything to promote these days and I'm still quite busy occupied with my day job, which is running Cardboard Live, which is um, something that you see on magic streams, whether it's tournaments or streamers using them on Twitch. And I've just found doing the podcast to be honestly kind of therapeutic. It's just a way for me to talk to people, to reconnect with certain people, and to get feedback from the community. And so I try to make these things just conversations. And that's why you find that a lot of the recent episodes have been a lot more chit-chatty. We've been talking about recent events, dealing with the pandemic, staying at home, because I think these are all universal themes. And so I just want you to know that I'm still super committed to Humans and Magic. I still want to keep doing it. I still want to keep putting out new episodes. And part of the reason is just to make myself happier. And Hopefully, when you listen to this, it makes you happier as well. I know that a lot of you don't have commutes anymore, so I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen to the podcast because it's a little bit harder these days to carve out time for that, so really appreciate it. That's really all I wanted to say, kind of mixed in with an update on what's been going on in my uh, own personal situation. Okay, we're almost there. Before we get started, I just want to give a few shout-outs. The music in this episode is brought to you by Kupla. Kupla is an amazing Finnish musician who also happens to play Magic the Gathering. In fact, he and I met during a Magic tournament last year. 
And uh, I would love for you to give him a follow. Check out his music on SoundCloud. That's K-U-P-L-A. You can also give him a follow on Twitter. K-U-P-L-A Sound. Kupla Sound. As always, I am sponsored by the wonderful team at ChannelFireball.com. Channel Fireball recently launched the CFB Pro content series. For a very nominal cost, you can get access to some of the top strategy articles and videos from the great minds in magic today, including Luis Scott Vargas and several others. Channel Fireball has also been helping out with running the online players tours. We just had two consecutive weekends of the players tours, so CFB is great. Would love for you to support them and support this show by taking a look at their website. Thank you. Last but not least, please check out the Humans of Magic website. It's humansofmagic.com. You can access previous episodes of the show, enter the mailing list, enter the prize draw to win a free copy of the Humans of Magic book, which, by the way, also happens to have a foreword written by Magic's very own Autumn Burchette. So definitely give humansofmagic.com a look today. Okay, lovely preambles out of the way. Let's get into it. This is Humans of Magic with Autumn Burchette. Hello, everybody. Today on Humans of Magic, I am here with MPL member, Star City Games writer, English national champion, back-to-back years, and 2019 mythic champion, Autumn Burchette. Autumn, how are you? I'm doing great, yeah. Happy to be on here. Excited. That is a lot of titles and accomplishments. And (laughs) How do you normally introduce yourself to people that... I guess I'll throw out my first random question is like, how do you introduce yourself to people that don't know you as a magic player? Because I think a lot of the the accolades or accomplishments are pretty well known in the magic space for competitive magic players. But if you just meet a random person on the street, what do you say to them if you have to introduce yourself? Uh, I introduce myself as Autumn. I honestly feel it's really hard to... I, I still haven't got into the habit of explaining to people who don't know magic like what it is i do because <laughs> to a lot of people it's just conceptually really weird that you know someone can go around playing card games and writing about them and stuff no- normally i would just introduce myself and say that you know i i have a lot of success in this field and as a result of it i'm able to play it on that level and uh, finance myself through it and I I tend not to get into the titles and stuff too much because I figure it won't mean much to people who don't play the game necessarily. Although there's something to be said for maybe more so than even Mythic Champion, just saying that you're the English national champion of a game, right? Like, I remember talking to certain Magic players who wanted to win worlds just so that they could say they're, they're the world champion. So there, there's got to be some prestige or some some something to to being the english national champion right yeah it's definitely like people were saying about the the world championship title that like when you're when you say to someone you're a pro tour champion they don't play magic they don't know what that means and don't understand like does this mean you won some local event or whereas when you say the world champion everyone understands 
that phrase. It's the same when you say you're like back-to-back English national champion or whatever. It's definitely like carried a lot more meaning when I've said that to people who don't know what I do compared to saying that, you know, I'm a mythic champion, even though winning the mythic championship is a much bigger accomplishment. So we're doing this uh, remotely and COVID-19 times. Mm-hmm. I see that you're in the same setup as you have when you stream. It's it's your bedroom. You know, that's yeah. what it looks like to me. But where whereabouts in the world are you right now? I'm currently in southern England in a place called the New Forest. Really pretty. Lots of horses roaming out in the nearby area. Lots of forest and places to walk around. Um, it's where I grew up, so... I, I was originally planning to come back here for like three or four months whilst I find it, found somewhere in Bristol to move to like fairly long term. Mm-hmm. And obviously because of quarantine and stuff, I'm, I'm going to be staying here a bit more than that three or four months, but it's going well. It's nicer. What's the population of the, of your city? I mean, is it, is it a large, is it a large place population wise? Oh, that's a good question. I am going to look that up. I don't actually know the... Because I, I remember seeing your, your video where you're kind of walking around and it looks very majestic with lots of green and as you just described, but uh, just just always wondering as to the scale. So the bit I currently live in apparently has a population of 13,000. So not like massive, not tiny. It's not like one of the places where like, you know everybody by name or, or, or is it a place like that where you just sort of... It, it, it is, and I know, like, my dad will recognize lots of people and he's out, lots of the same faces when he's out walking and stuff. Um, but, you know, it's, def- it's definitely not, like, a big city either. It's, it's very, very moderate-sized village on the on the edge of a forest. It's nice, though. Right. And, and you said you just see horses just, you know, running around or something in, in freely as you're, as you're walking out outside or something? Yeah, if I go walk on the forest, um, lots of people around here will own own horses, and they just keep them out in the forest, where, you know, they can just roam around, do what they want, you know, eat the fresh grass and stuff, mm. uh, which is, like, really surreal when you're just out walking, because I don't really know of many places where you just go walking around in nature, like, no fences or anything like that, and just see a bunch of horses. Like, right, wandering around doing their own thing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really uh really really quite unique. And uh, maybe uh, maybe I'll ask next, what has quarantine life been like? I mean, especially in a place like that. I know you're streaming a lot. You're still playing the the online magic events, but you probably talk way too much about magic. So you know, what what, is, <laughs> what do you actually do outside of magic when you're not streaming like these days? How how, how has it been? Uh, so yeah, I'm doing a ton of magic stuff. I'm keeping up with my writing. I'm uh, trying to go on walks occasionally, playing video games a bit, watching watching films a bit, spending time with my dad. Uh, obviously, I can't really see friends very much at the moment, uh, partially because a lot of them don't live here. I'm planning to move specifically to be closer to friends, right. um, but also because of quarantine stuff. So I've been video calling people a lot. I probably video call someone every day, you know, like have a, have a selection of friends who I try and keep up with and talk to and hang out with online that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely not the same as being in person, but it does help a lot. 
would you consider yourself more of an introvert or an extrovert on the on that scale? I am an introvert who does need like human company. I don't know. I I I I can't just like if I just spend a whole day speaking to no one. Mm-hmm. I that's not a good day for me. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I definitely do tire if I'm around people too much. Like if at events in the evening once the event's over i do just curl up with my laptop even if i'm sharing like a a hotel room with people or whatever i just need to curl up and have a couple hours doing my own thing so i am introverted i do get my energy from being on my own but i my mental health really appreciates being in contact with friends sharing time with them talking with people and that is very important to me yeah I feel very similarly. The quarantine is happening around the world, and I I also try to do Zoom calls. Maybe not every day, uh, because it actually takes a lot, like a little bit of work to set up, and I'm a little bit lazy in that respect. But you know, if I don't have that human contact with somebody once every one or two days, then even though I am introverted, I like doing things on my own. It it, hmm. it feels isolating, and and I yeah. I had to sort of come to grips with that because it's almost like in the past i i wore my introversion like a badge of honor like you know i can just i should be able to just read a book or play magic online or whatever and just just do my thing but it turns out that you know i do need that social company as well so what you said really really made me think about my own situation i guess Mm -hmm. yeah i think people have this like uh, especially extroverts have this notion that like introverted people would rather just be on their own all the time or whatever and it's not necessarily that that's the case like it, it's more that like you get your energy from being on your own but that doesn't mean you want to be on your own necessarily yeah so how are you feeling overall these days i mean we've described your your physical situation, like, you know, you're in quarantine, you're doing the daily Zoom calls, you know, you're spending time with your family, but I mean, how, how are you feeling inside? Because, you know, I, I saw a video that you posted, I believe it, was, it might've been back in April, where you, you mm-hmm. tweeted a video where you're like taking a walk, very, very nice background. But I mean, how, how have things been uh, since then? It's tough. Uh, I obviously missing friends a lot, missing um, missing spending time with people in person, and not having that has been bad for me and my mental health. I imagine like that's something a lot of people can relate to at the moment. I also just, there's a lot of, a lot of stress and anxiety at the moment in terms of worrying about the the state of the world and stuff like that um and it's hard for it's hard not to like look at some of the stuff that's that's happening in terms of um in terms of like police brutality or in terms of uh governments like rolling back civil rights and stuff like that and for it not to affect your mental health in some way at least for me it's hard not to so that's been tough 
definitely been like leaning a lot on my friends and my support networks to to help me in terms of you know holding it all together or whatever <laughs> are, are you comfortable sharing maybe some of the things on your mind because i i have a i think i have a sense from looking at you know some of your uh your social but i i wanted to you know hear it straight from you um so things that are on my mind uh, i've so the big thing on a personal level at the moment is um, in the U.S. they're uh, threatening to roll back, or that are in the process of like rolling back uh, civil rights in regards to trans people to make mm-hmm. it so that you can, if you if you go to a doctor because you've had a heart attack and you're you're trans, they can just choose not to treat you because you're trans, which is really messed up. <laughs> um, and there's, like, s- like similar stuff happening here in the UK, where uh, there's... Uh, apparently the government has intentions to start introducing, like, bathroom bills and stuff to basically make it so trans people can't use certain parts of society that they've been using for for decades you know that has been like it it's been legal for trans women to use women's toilets for like a decade now and it's just being taken away potentially and all that stuff is really scary in terms of civil rights being rolled back so they're literally Um, rolling back uh, you know the rights and safe spaces that trans people have you know enjoyed over the years like is that is that what i'm hearing uh so the current situation is it was there was a leak to a newspaper that apparently mm-hmm. uh there are intentions to do this and whether it goes through or not is going to happen it's going to be announced in like the next couple days and it's going to depend a lot in terms of how the public has responded to the leak and how much pushback there's been against it so all that all that sort of stuff is very anxiety inducing for me personally because it affects me on a very personal level mm-hmm. um and then of course there's like all the stuff regarding you know police just killing black people <laughs> um and everything that like connects to that in in so many ways and it is it is scary the way it's being treated by the government and the media the notion it's also scary that like you know maybe there's all this resistance and protesting and it just doesn't need to change and we just end up with the the current state of things continuing and that's that's also very scary. Yeah, it is a it is a scary future that we're looking at, right? Just if things continue, what what's the term like status quo? Then um, mm-hmm. it's looking at a looking very scary. I think for even in the short term, like what what is happening right now, I, I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot. I mean, there's there's so much more than just you know some game or hobby or activity or even our, our jobs, right? Because in your case, it is, you know, your profession is, uh, 
is is that of a magic competitor and content creator and things like that but uh, mm-hmm. it's hard not to be affected by what is happening in the world because we're all obviously citizens of the world and we all have a a part to play I, I imagine that it's also I can't speak for you, but I would imagine that it would also create anxiety on your part because you do have a platform. You do have a platform, uh, at least within the magic space, you're, you're a known figure. And so mm. like, there are things that you probably feel like you can do to get people to take action in the right ways to, you know, write their local congressman or congresswoman. There's probably things that people can do. Um, do you do you feel like you're is it is it tough because it probably feels like you're swimming upstream against something and then yeah you you feel like you can do something but it's still going to be really challenging I, I don't know if that's fair to say but that's sort of the the impression I'm getting from um, you know hearing you talk about it hmm. it's hard not to feel like really small among it all right where like how much how much difference can like one person make just by you know speaking out about things and signing petitions and stuff um it's sometimes hard to lose sight of the fact that ultimately you know every 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 single signature for a petition has to come from somewhere and every time you speak out against injustice or try and spread news about something that's happening is like another opportunity for like someone to learn something they maybe weren't aware of or maybe start to to see things in a slightly different light or whatever and on like a personal level everything feels so small and incremental and it can be hard to lose sight of the fact that actually you know we're part of this bigger ecosystem and every little change is going to have ripple effects (laughs) yeah i guess we all have have our our part to play and uh Mm. you know we're all you know, hopefully your message can get out to somebody, you know, convince some, uh, no, I mean, not, not hopefully they, they have been getting out to people and, uh, you know, they have, you know, I think it is resulting in something. It's just, it's just challenging because you don't know really how to quantify that impact. Cause it's like, you know, maybe somebody changed their mind and, uh, you know, one way or the other, but it's, it's, it, it can be hard maybe to, to quantify the impact. I don't, I don't even know. There's not even a question here. I'm just, I'm just trying to trying to uh process what you're saying mm-hmm. i mean in times like this i mean what 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 are things that you've been trying to do to to stay happy or to stay maybe even get your mind away from these things is it, is it magic or do you do other things to 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 sort of like get through all this all this stuff you know i've not actually been playing that much magic off of stream at the moment I, I'm streaming like 20, 30 hours a week of magic at the moment. I'm not playing that much magic off of stream. Um, but I am uh, watching a lot of films at the moment. I'm playing a lot of video games. I you know, definitely mm-hmm. enjoy both those mediums quite a bit. Um, 
like I say, I've been calling friends a lot and just spending time with people online and, you know, sharing time, playing games with them or just talking about things or even just coexisting. That's something I actually really like that um, I, I think isn't isn't popular enough or whatever, where I just am a big fan of, you know, sometimes it'll get to like 11 in the evening or whatever and I want to play a game or watch a video or something and I will just call up a friend and we'll just sort of just be there like doing our own things but on the call together and it's like it's mm. like the whole like introverted thing of like um sometimes people enjoy being on their own laptops or computers doing their own thing but being in the same room together so right. that you kind of feel like you at least have company during it all i do that on calls a lot just really love coexisting with people that's yeah. very good for me that's a really good idea maybe i need to try that like it's it's like the classic example of like you're in a sectional sofa and it's like in in real life it would be like your backs are to each other and you both have a laptop this is like mm -hmm. the, the virtual version or online version of it yeah it, I, it's really good for me personally <laughs> yeah no that's that's really uh I gotta figure out a way to to do that more often, but uh, that's a that's a really good idea. What kinds of uh, games are you playing recently? I I saw on some of your vods like you've been playing certain games, but what are you playing right now? Is it like a one or two, or are you always like cycling through different games? I'm trying out a bunch of different stuff to be honest. Um, I know so my favorite game I've played in the last few years is Celeste, which is this really really wonderful platformer game really beautiful art, really beautiful music, um, very challenging, but also really rewarding. It's really designed to be uh, challenging, but kind towards the player, instead of like, y you never feel like you were cheated when you when you die in the game. It always makes, makes sense. You know, I messed up in this way or whatever. Um, I really enjoy that game. I, I still just play it a lot. Uh, I've been trying out a bunch of roguelites, which mm -hmm. are a genre I wasn't really very familiar with until recently. Uh, a streamer I really enjoy watching plays a ton of them, and I just started trying them out myself. So a couple of the ones I've been playing that I've been really enjoying are Enter the Gungeon and Crypt of the Necrodancer. Both of those are a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, 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 uh, I got a what is it, a Switch Lite recently, so I've been playing a ton of stuff on that. It's been really good, so... Yeah. Are, are you playing the uh, the Mario and the Zeldas as well? Is Because is, that's usually, the, you know, the comes with the territory of having a Nintendo console, right? I played a ton of that stuff when I was younger. I haven't actually... Uh, I've got Breath of the Wild downloaded. I haven't started it yet, but I want to soon. Oh, yeah. I've kind of been yeah. putting it off because I know once <laughs> we start it, it will be like... 50 hours long and just yeah. take over my life but <laughs> right. so I, I i'm really curious about this like how far back does your your gaming go because i understand that you are first and foremost a gamer like because magic was sort of something you got into much later but describe mm -hmm. for me like sort of your relationship with gaming and how how it started maybe uh i've been involved with gaming since i was like you know, before preschool, like, when I, when I was, like, three years old or whatever, my dad would, um, 
you would have DOS games and stuff like that set up on the computer, mm-hmm. and I, w- I would sit down and play those a bunch, because uh, that's, that's, you know, he was playing them, and they were there as, like, an opportunity for me to try them out, too, and... Do you remember what those games were, like, the early, early DOS games? Oh, I can't... I know there was, like, a racing game where you played as, like, a bunch of animals. Uh, there was some sort of um, hack-and-slash-style game where you just you walked, walked through with, like, a huge axe or whatever and, and fought your way through all these levels. There was, like, one based on Norse mythology and four and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, it's all very vague, though. I was very young. Yeah. I can't remember that many details. Yeah, it's a flawed question because who remembers what they've been do- they were doing when they were three years old, right? So, <laughs> yeah. But it, it's kind of just been like a thing for my entire life. I played played that sort of stuff when I was really young. I then got like a Sega Master System, which I played a ton on. Um, the <laughs> The one of the the main controller for it actually had a broken button on it, so I went for like a couple years playing games on this, like most days, when mm. like one of the buttons just didn't work, and I'd have to figure <laughs> out ways to try and complete these games without like, you know, being able to move in this certain direction or something. Yeah, um, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous, but uh, oh no, I, we all we all dealt with that. Really limited budget, so you have to kind of just make do. Yeah, uh, I got like a. Uh, Game Boy when I was like seven years old or something and that was actually really good for me because um, I'm actually autistic and I've learned a lot of social skills now and much more able to interact with people now but Mm -hmm. back when I was like seven or even you know 12 or 13 or whatever um, I would really struggle to know how to interact with people and Mm -hmm. just find having to interact with anyone just like nightmare scenario because I'd embarrass myself a lot and not know what to say and feel Mm. really awkward and having like a handheld games machine was good because it gave me something I could focus my attention onto um Uh you know much like someone might do with a book or whatever um made like social scenarios feel a bit less stressful for me I guess or being around family or whatever yeah because you can you can just sort of focus on the Game Boy and uh, and 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 the game, right? Yeah, and like over the years, I learned social skills and became a lot more comfortable with that sort of stuff. But like, you know, when I was like seven years old, I just couldn't really cope with it all at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I played a lot of a lot of video games growing up. Um, part of that was like I, I was a very like lonely teenager i didn't necessarily fit in i have like a lot of friends now and a lot very good support network and stuff but at the time i didn't really fit in um so having these like you know fantastical worlds to dive into instead Mm -hmm. was very appealing and then once i started going to university i got really into board games obviously starting with like settlers of Catan and carcassonne and all that stuff yeah. Uh, but then getting really into like, you know, the slightly, slightly denser, more challenging, like German style board games. I really love Castles of Burgundy. I really love uh, Agricola. It's a game mm-hmm. I just adore. 
um, a bunch of different games like that, and I'd start introducing them to my friend group at university, and we'd play them together. And so I, I've been into this stuff, like, you know, my whole life. Yeah. There's just so much I want to ask here, but when you were younger, like going back to maybe your younger years, did you play all the games solo or did you play them with, you know, any siblings you may have or friends or is, or is it mostly like a solo endeavor? Uh, a lot of it was solo. I I had a, a local friend who I would probably see once a week or so for, you know, several years. Um, and we would basically spend all our time together playing video games because we were both very socially awkward and didn't really know how to to talk or interact with other people very well but found it very easy to just sit down and play these games together and hang out that way um yeah uh so i i, I did have people i would play with uh there was also someone in uh secondary school in years like uh it was have to revert this back into a normal year marking system. Uh, sorry. <laughs> in years like 10 and 11. Uh, so when I was like 15, 16, uh, we would, again, we were like kind of the social outcasts of the school, I guess, and didn't really fit in that well. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'd bring in our DSs into school every day and go find like a quiet little corner during lunchtime just to to play multiplayer with each other and and hang out and get away from like you know all the noise and everything yeah so if i were to ask you you know all the years of playing video games what what is the one game or that yeah what is the one game that you're the most fondest of and maybe had the the biggest impact on you in some way like i guess it's sort of synonymous with just asking what's your favorite game of all time but you know games have stories and you know often they we have this relationship with the games for some reason honestly i'm not someone who like is affected by nostalgia that strongly uh it sounds weird but like if i played a game when i was like 12 and really enjoy it or watch a mm-hmm. movie or whatever when i'm 12 and really enjoy it or any sort of media and i go back to it now and I just don't find it good or enjoyable or whatever anymore. I just don't actually get anything out of it, even from mm-hmm. a nostalgic point of view. Um, as a result of that, a lot of my connections do end up being with the stuff I've played more recently because I guess there's more of that like visceral connection with it for me. So like Celeste is just one of the the games that's left like the biggest impact on me in a long time. Um, Looking back, there are, like, a handful of things that really stand out, though. I know I really want to go back and play uh, Ico and Shadow of the Colossus at some point. Oh, yeah. Those those, those are, are both just, like, extraordinary. Um, mm-hmm. Just, like, the mood in them and the worlds they portray mm-hmm. and the everything. Just, they're, they're like, actual experiences. It's great. Um I really like your your answer because I like that mindset of like always looking forward. It's not mm. like because I I think I'm very different in the sense that I'm very nostalgic. Like you know if I play Celeste, which which I did, and I'm sure it's fantastic by the way you described it. If I played it, I'd probably be thinking like, this is this is really good, but you know this is not like 
the Beatles or like Super Mario 2 or something like that, where it's like everything that I do, I try to, you know, compare it to what happened before in my life, which is probably like a limiting thing, but I think it's just how, how my mind works. It's the same with Magic too. It's like, you know, I'll compare new cards to some some deck that I played in the late 90s and it's 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 probably a bad thing but uh yeah uh, but I, I like I like your I like your kind of like that mindset of just just mm-hmm. looking forward and like I guess it sort of implies that you can analyze every piece of art like whether it's film or game on its own merits and not try to like compare it to something that is like you know what came before or like what what was there like 10 years ago or something it's good yeah, I guess this was just like an element for me where like um, we're constantly growing and learning and changing and for a lot of people constantly, you know, striving to improve or better themselves. And so it's it's hard to imagine that like who you are now is going to have the same response to something as who you were like 10 years ago. Because you've learned so much more and changed so much, and your viewpoints on the world will have changed so much. And I guess that's that for me is like part a part of that mindset for me is a part of why I like nostalgia doesn't really affect me mm-hmm. that strongly in regards to media because I always figure I'm going to be coming at it, you know, years later with a very different set of history behind me to when I like first encountered it for sure another thing i want to ask is you know if you were looking back i know i know we should look forward but if you're looking back how do you think you got your competitive gaming mindset like how was that home because you know you're obviously a very successful and talented and you know in the top one percent of competitive magic players so like usually it doesn't just happen you know you know people don't just find magic and like oh i'm suddenly very competitive like that must have come before so how 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 did that happen for you that whole competitive mindset it's kind of like two different things to this uh one is that you know growing up i was uh very successful in terms of like education or whatever uh, school scores and stuff when I was in my teens and you're then just like naturally put in this position where you're pushed to be better and better and are kind of naturally competing against a bunch of people and I was sent to like you know I I ended up doing these like special maths tests that only like a handful of people in the school would do and stuff Mm -hmm. like that um so it's kind of just something that was a part of how I was taught and brought up was to to be competitive and trying to improve and get better and stuff. Um, the flip side is I actually think in some regards I'm a lot less competitive than some like of my peers in the magic community in terms of Oh really? You know, I really do love just messing around with like some silly meme deck or my pet deck uh-huh. or whatever. Um, uh-huh. Really love just like exploring loads of like weird, fun, casual formats and stuff like that. And I've definitely had times where like I try and convince 
someone who's like a very competitive player to play this like battle box with me and <laughs> they're just like very not into it because it's not, you know yeah it's not as serious as sitting down and playing the the team reclamation mirror yes <laughs> or whatever against <laughs> each other um yeah it's maybe outside of their comfort zone a little bit where it it, it, it sounds like you're able to sort of find different pieces of enjoyment from the game right yeah part of what i love about magic um i kind of, I, kind of, I say this an awful lot but it's the sheer depth the game has in terms of the ways you can approach it so like mm -hmm. i i've heard it referred to as magic is not a game it is a rule set which like kind of speaks to me because like you have this rule set and within it you can have these constructed formats like legacy and standard and such. You can have these limited formats, but you can also just like, you know, make up formats. You can just go like, okay, this is how the format is going to work today. And here are the, the pieces we're going to use for it. And let's see what happens. Like it's this very, I, th I think a lot of people sometimes think of magic as kind of rigid in some ways when it's actually the exact opposite. It's incredibly, whatever you want it to be and i think yeah. that's really cool it's like a framework of you say rule set i'm thinking about framework mm. and it's like it's beyond just the world it's it's like it's almost like the physics of a world and it's it's full of possibilities because you can just decide mm. it's almost like a dungeons and dragons campaign if you or dungeons and dragons yeah. the core rules it's like yeah okay here's how you here's how saving throws work here's how you roll a character but you know, you can be in one world or another. It's 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 not, it's it's so vast, right? So it's I, hmm. I think of it as, as a framework of possibilities, really. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily think it's like that big a coincidence that Dungeons and Dragons and Magic are made by the same company, right? Like they feel very spiritually similar in terms of being this framework where you can kind of create your own experiences. Yeah. In your younger years, you were uh, a top student. You know, you, academically, it sounds like you you did quite well. And uh, you know, when you when you entered university, what did you study? Like, what was your specialization or degree you chose to to go after? So uh, I tried to go after a maths degree. Uh, it did not go very well, which I think was down to a bunch of different reasons. Um, I was pretty depressed, especially after leaving home. I um, really struggled to, to make that transfer to living on my own and looking after myself in that environment. Mm -hmm. um, I, like, I'm autistic, and I think for me personally, it might have just come like a couple years too early. Maybe I just mm -hmm. needed that extra couple years before doing that. Uh, I think... Um, the maths degree was very ill-suited for me in terms of I don't think I'm naturally good at studying necessarily. Like, I'm not good at sitting down and just reading books and learning theory. Mm -hmm. I need mm -hmm. to be doing stuff, and mm -hmm. that's not what that, that type of degree really lends itself to. Mm -hmm. um, and also, there was just, like, I was going through a lot of uh, upheaval in my life at the time. I was starting to deal with, you know... Um, the possibility of me being trans and trying to work through that and then come out 
and I was trying to get used to forming like meaningful friendships for the first time in my life. Like I, I'd had friendships in my, my teenage years before moving to university, but they were never really like had that much depth or connection to them necessarily. And then I moved to university and started making like much more meaningful friendships with much deeper bonds and stuff. Yeah. And learning to navigate all of that also just took up like a, a lot of time and energy from me. So my math degree actually wasn't successful, sadly. Uh, <laughs> it was not to be. <laughs> even though like I was a good student up until that point, there were just like a lot of things that were in the way in their own ways. Yeah. But it sounds like you found your, you know, group of friends or mm. however you want to call it or your tribe. Like, you know, I, I think that's very common for a lot of folks. It's like, you know, once you get out into the bigger world, I I into college, university, or even the workforce, like you, you start to find people that you really identify with. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I guess it was much later that you found magic then it was because it was magic was what, like you found it maybe seven years ago from from now? yeah i found it seven years ago uh my first set was like my first pre-release was dragon's maze and i started like a month before that um uh -huh. i in my third year of my degree uh i started making a bunch of friends in bristol which was nearby to where i was studying mm -hmm. and uh one of them i started dating and he and i would play a lot of board games together Mm -hmm. and you know, we just like you know sit down on the bed or whatever and get out Agricola and play mm -hmm. a game against each other and he'd been playing Magic for like a decade at that point and mm -hmm. was constantly suggesting you know that we could just try this out and I was very resistant for a little while because I know I can have like a little bit of a, an obsessive personality <laughs> I was worried about you know this could just yeah. take over my life <laughs> And then I finally gave in. Which is why you didn't play the, the Zelda game that, that you downloaded, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I'm, like, a little bit cautious sometimes, I guess, because I know about how obsessive yeah. I can be and that I kind of need to, like, pick and choose the right moments for it mm -hmm. um, sometimes because it turns out there are other things that have to happen in your life as well. Yeah. Uh, eventually I gave in, tried out magic with him. This was when I was, like... 21 i guess uh -huh. and i you know very quickly it did kind of just consume my life uh i within a month i was going to my well, within a couple weeks i was going to my first ever you know evening event at a local game store within a month i was at my first pre-release within like uh -huh. six months i would say that i was playing you know modern legacy standard and limited all on oh, some man. level like yeah no that that's that's very quick that was gonna be my next question like you, you you didn't waste any time at all just getting into you know tournaments it sounds like mm -hmm. yeah i just every every single time that uh i got to the point where it felt like there was something else to do i would just do it i guess <laughs> um like the moment that i like got to the point where i felt comfortable playing at the local game store and felt like i was doing okay i would start like my ears would prick up at the news that there was some like 
Grand Prix trial happening happening nearby that I could go compete in. And once I felt comfortable playing at those, my ears would prick up at the notion of like a Grand Prix or a PTQ, and would just like keep wanting to go to the next thing and yeah, go move up to the next level. So, were you a natural right away with magic? Like, did you did you find your footing quite quickly? That like you kind of intuitively know how everything worked, or how, you know how how was that you know first couple months or even the first year for you in terms of magic uh i think it's hard for anyone to like truly be a natural at magic just because there's so much to learn there's the, mm-hmm. so much depth to the game and so many so many intricacies to get your head around but i would say i like learned very fast part of that was i was just playing a lot of it and just like whenever I was was hanging out with uh, this friend, I would just like always want to play it. We just like basically stopped playing all these other board games because I just wanted to play Magic all the time. Right. Um, part of that was I had some very good people teaching me. I was like very keen to learn. Um, both Mike and also someone called Ryan, uh, they both taught me a huge amount about the game, and it would kind of be the case that like. If ever one of them was watching me play, I would just be super open to feedback and, you know, want to hear their opinions on my plays and why they fought it. And if ever I was watching them, I didn't understand something I'd ask and they'd give me an answer. Um, I know especially Ryan, I would send him, like, questions over Skype of, like, how come someone's building their deck this way with, like, this specific Mm -hmm. card in it i don't really understand it and he would send me back like a five or six page response in answer (laughs) to that question just like these essays or articles or whatever just like you know this whole thing of like i was very keen to learn and he was very keen to teach so Mm -hmm. it was a good little interaction there and all of that kind of compounded and meant that i was learning very fast yeah because you have to learn from others, right, who who have mm-hmm. a little bit more perspective. Like, you don't... I guess, theoretically, someone could just study all the videos and articles and gameplay, but it, it's it's a lot better when you have friends around you. So, uh, shout out to Mike and Ryan. Uh, are, are you still in touch with your friends? I am. Uh, I see Mike, like, basically whenever I'm I'm in Bristol... Um, one of the, like, there, there are a bunch of reasons why I want to move back to that area, but one of them is, you know, to be close to him again and get yeah. to see him more often. And, uh, Ryan actually moved away, but I've seen him a couple times since he did move away a few years ago. And whenever I'm like anywhere close to the area where he lives, I try and try and see if I can make a detour to go stay there for a few days. So that's that's awesome so it sounds like they're more than just you know friends that you pl- you played magic with they're just there's a deeper mm-hmm. friendship there yeah they're, they're both very important to me and how do they feel about you know your <laughs> your level of magic achievement because uh you know i've talked to people and you know pros and some of some of them like have described it being like kind of surreal you know just like yeah, yeah, I used to play with Autumn back then, and you know, like I can't believe that they're you know in that position now. And you know, or, you know, are they um, surprised? Are they like 
not surprised about where you are in terms of your magic standing? I know, like, Mike will uh, occasionally comment on how surreal it is. Because, <laughs> you know, he remembers when, you know, that very first time I played, when he cracked out those intro decks he threw together and was, like, teaching me about tapping mana for the first time, or, you know, he'll remember when I was at drafts and would just, like, draft these awful decks with a bunch of, like, O4s and O6s, because I didn't understand why you wouldn't just, like, want all these walls in your deck <laughs> to block the <laughs> opponent's creatures. Like, he, he remembers, um, you know, when I was actually bad at the game and learning, and... He's been he'd been playing like a decade longer for me even at that point, and right. it's very surreal to for him to have seen like the process from like me being bad to me being a bit better to me being pretty good but still you know a bit worse than him to me starting to do okay against him when we play together and then eventually mm -hmm. you know me starting to be a bit better and then all of a sudden this <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah. But he's also just really proud and happy about the fact that I've managed to achieve this. Which is very, very cool and exciting. Could you pinpoint a specific point in time where you had a breakthrough in terms of a level up moment or just, you know, maybe something happened in a tournament or results wise or something you're thinking that made me made you kind of like feel like you took the first leap, so to speak? I think a, a really nice moment was um, I'd been playing for a year, probably about a year at that point. I and um, yeah, it was, it was a bit less than a year I'd been playing, and it was Born of the Gods game day, and I have my mono black devotion deck that I built like the moment Pharos came out and had been tuning. I started, like, reading the articles about the deck because I just wanted to know more about it and how other people were building it. Eventually, I, like, cut my, my bad pet cards from the deck so I could have it be a bit better and a bit more tuned mm -hmm. and um, had really been practicing this deck and trying to understand it. And I went to this game day on the Saturday at Excelsior and it was only a small one, it was only like 10 people or something, but I ended up winning it and getting the game day play map. And then I went to the game day at Forbidden Planet on the Sunday, and it was like maybe about 40 people. Mm. And somehow I ended up winning that one and getting the other copy of the the game day play map for, you know, that weekend's game days in Bristol. Yeah. And it was just this like really surreal moment where I'd been like, putting in all this effort to learn the stack and been practicing it a ton and always wanting to play games with it against anyone who would play against me. And, you know, a few months later, I had actually reached the point where I was able to win these, like, game days, which, you know, aren't, like, the most serious or most competitive events in the world. But for someone who'd only been play playing, like, less than a year and was still learning the game, that was just, like, a really big deal. Yep. What was the scene like in Bristol? Like, is it just a ton of magic activity and events, or like, just just things firing all the time? What was that like? So I've not, I've not lived in Bristol for a few years. Obviously, I'm planning moving back there. So this might be a bit out of date, but um, uh -huh. I know back when I lived there, it was 
it was a really really healthy scene there there were three three different shops uh you would have one that would only fire drafts you'd have an, had another that would do constructed evenings twice a week of like mm-hmm. lots of modern lots of a bit of standard a bit of legacy and then you have another store which kind of did everything and was more the uh where the other two, where the first two stores were a bit more competitive leaning, the third store was a bit more casual and friendly focused, and they do a lot of like standard. They do some pauper. They do some drafts, and you get it's like a pretty pretty active community. Like the ca- the the casual store would get like maybe thirty people some evenings, and the more competitive stores would get like you know fifteen or so. Which maybe isn't the biggest turnout compared to some areas, but it always felt like the community was pretty active and alive, and there was yeah. always a lot to do. If you wanted to go and go and play Magic in the evening, you'd probably get to it at some point in the week. And probably tough competition, right? Because I would imagine that to level up your game, you had to play against some some good players. Now, I don't know if those good players were local or if they were online, but uh, you must have been exposed to to quite a competitive scene. Yeah. Um, I definitely... One thing was that from, like, the very start, I was going to the more competitive stores in addition to the more casual-friendly store. Mm-hmm. So, um, from the very start of me learning Magic... I was going to, you know, these constructed evenings at Excelsior and going, like, 1-3 and three or 0-4 oh or whatever because, you know, they knew the game better than me and maybe had more tuned decks than me and stuff. But it meant I was playing against people who were good and I was able to, to learn from what they were doing and apply it to myself, which is really important. That's, like, that's just the biggest thing is... Um, the I think the be- the single best way for someone to start to get better is to play against better players, and part of that is being part of that is finding friends who are good at the game who you can learn from, but also part of that is being willing to push yourself out of your comfort zone, to go like okay I'm not good enough to win a PTQ yet or top eight PTQ yet, but I'm still gonna go and play, and you know pay attention to what my opponents are doing and how the games are playing out and sure i might go like three and four and you know not have a great record but i'm gonna learn (laughs) where 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 do you think your i'll call it competitive perseverance comes from because there there are like two types of people like you know sometimes you get too frustrated with losing you just kind of walk away and you know i'll go back to settlers of Catan or another game because there's a there's a million games out there but somehow you found a way to pick yourself back up proverbially and, you know, continue to, you know, you're one and three, oh and four, but you still want to like figure out how to climb that mountain. So where do you think your, your stubbornness or your perseverance comes from? I think for me, a lot of it was that I wasn't super focused on the results. Um, I think it's like, if you go to events with the aim of doing well, it's just going to be like kind of soul crushing when you you know inevitably do badly because you are still learning. Like if I went to that first PTQ of the aim of going, you know five and two, or top sixteening or whatever, and then I don't achieve that, it's just going to be really dispiriting and make me like not feel up to going back. 
which is completely the opposite of what you're trying to get out of the experience. Whereas if you if I go to that PTQ with the aim of, okay, I'm here to A, have fun, obviously, because, you know, that's part of why we play this game, and B, learn, and play against people who are better than me, and pay attention to my plays, and think about them, and reflect on the games, like, honestly, you know, not just dismissing it as, oh, I got mana screwed, but actually, like, looking at my decisions. Like, if that's my aim, if those are my aims, those are much more achievable. Because those aren't dependent on, like, the roll of the dice going your way, right? They're just dependent mm-hmm. on you, on you having a good time and also paying attention and being open and, like, being willing to learn, being willing to accept that, hey, I made a mistake and that's cool, I'm going to learn from it and get better. Um, I think I think a lot of it is about having that right sort of mindset when you approach all of that. Is it just something that you discovered on your own or is it through maybe your friends or other competitive players that you you absorb that type of thinking? Actually, not sure. I think it's partially how I'm like naturally inclined to approach things. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have also partially been encouraged by Mike when I was learning the game, where like, you know, sometimes I would, maybe if I went to an event and got frustrated or whatever, that I was doing badly, he would, you know, reassure me and try and try and focus my thoughts in other directions because that's just not a very productive or healthy or helpful headspace to be in. Um, so I think I think it's like a bit of both those things. Got it. And how did you see? You know, if you look at your magic career as milestones, right? Like, there's the game getting the game day play mat, which is like, hey, you know, yeah. that's like the first major thing. Mm-hmm. From getting there to becoming the, you know, English national champion, like, how would you, if if I were to take a snapshot of Autumn, like at those two places, like, how would you compare and contrast their sort of uh, magical inventory in terms of like their their skill set and and mindset and all of that stuff, like? Were you a very different player? Like, obviously you had to be, but like, how would you qualify that? Those, you know, those two milestones. Gosh, that is. Is it like night and day? Is it just like, like almost impossible to talk about? Or is it like incremental? Honestly, it's this like weird thing of like, wherever I've been in my magic history, I've been able to like, look, say 18 months in the past and be amazed at the progress i've made and the things i've learned since then oh okay feel like there's a huge jump and i think that's kind of the way it should always be like i think i'm pretty good at this game obviously like (laughs) yeah i've won a bunch of tournaments but i certainly don't think i am you know amazing at it i think i've still got a long way to go i still think i've still got a lot to learn Mm -hmm. um in a bunch of different ways and I want it to always be the case that I can look at, you know, in a year's time, look at me now and be like, hey, since then I've learned X, Y, and Z and I've improved in these ways and I feel like I'm still actively improving and actively getting better. So how would you say you've leveled up now compared to 18 months ago to use a more recent time frame? 
Uh, so compared to 18 months ago, it's actually like so that that specific time frame is a little bit tough because I think after I won the Mythic Championship, mm-hmm. I had a few months where I actually just, just got considerably right. worse at the game because I was struggling with a bunch of stuff. Right. Um, I would say I have. I am trying. I have become, and I am trying to keep becoming more disciplined with, like, mulliganing and, you know, willing to, you know, engage in that sort of stuff. I would say, in terms of deck selection, I've, like, learnt a bunch. I, last, like, last year I picked, like, the perfect deck for a a couple different events, but I also made, like, a huge, a few huge blunders. And Mm -hmm. so in terms of deck selection and testing properly to find the right deck and stuff i'm have been improving and i'm still improving and i'm trying to put a lot of work into that in particular Mm -hmm. um i don't know there there are just like a bunch of different things where i feel like i'm i'm still improving and putting in my energy and trying to get better that's great and i know that you've oh you've been working with some prolific magic players so mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm gonna assume that they've helped you out in some way shape or form yep. on this absolutely yeah. yeah the the names that are publicly come to mind for me are are sam black and uh mm-hmm. emma handy being some of the, the the folks would would that be a fair assessment yeah i would say both of those and also aaron barrich and oh, yes. I uh, I worked with Jadine Clamparins a bunch too before she went to Wizards of the Coast. Mm. Um, th- those are probably like the handful of people over the last... I, mm. I guess Jadine doesn't fit into the 18-month gap, but over the last 18 months I've worked with Emma, Sam, and Aaron a bunch. Sam is just... I, I'd say this in the most positive way possible. He's just like a mad genius. Like he just Just mm-hmm. everything that, you know, he... He just thinks about magic on a different level from a lot of even, uh, you know, his peers, I I think. Yes. Uh, and Jading is just exceptional. Like, you know, just I have a lot of respect for people that write well. I have like a total bias for that. And I, just by the way she articulates her thoughts, like reading back on some of the old like legacy articles and other articles she's mm. done. Like there's a level of, understand, level of understanding there that is quite, quite advanced. And it, it's one thing to like, have a good grasp of magic knowledge, but it's quite another to actually be able to to share that and disseminate. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what's the word, like to to break it down to other people in a way that they can absorb it. So, um, just thinking of those two people, Sam and JD, I think they're both exceptional at that. I agree completely with everything you just said. Um. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, that's that's the thing with me. Uh, I'll just randomly talk about things, but um, I, I am wondering if you have, do you still have magic-related goals going forward? Are there any tangible ones that that you're comfortable with sharing, if any? So it's like a little bit tough because I guess we don't fully know what like magic is gonna look like at the moment because of the whole, you know coronavirus situation and quarantine and you know how long is it going to last for and stuff um i would say one thing i do really want though is 
I, I remember at the world, so I competed in the world championship earlier this year in February in yes. Hawaii, and I ended up top eating it out of a field of 16, which like, you know, isn't this grand achievement or anything. But for me, it was still like pretty good to know that against the very best people in the world, super high level, I managed to still get into the top half of the field. And I felt right. like I could look back on the work and preparation I put into that event and see, like, you know, that I'd earned that in some way. Like, I felt like the work I'd put in and the preparation I'd put in was paid off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember going down to the beach on the final night there and walking down up to the water. Uh, I feel this, like, very primal connection to nature in some ways, and there's something about this, like, being near the sea and hearing the sound of the waves and stuff that's very powerful to me. I was walking down there and kind of experiencing that, and this thought popped into my head that the one thing I really wanted in terms of magic at that point in time was to get to the point where I could go back to the World Championship and, you know, (laughs) earn an invite to there again. Um, Like, getting to compete at that level was incredible. Compete against, you know, some of the very best players from that year of Magic. Uh, Also, just the event itself was a really extraordinary experience. Uh, maybe that's partially me just, like, really enjoying my time in Honolulu. Uh, it's partially the fact that Wizards treated us incredibly well when we were there. It's partially that, um, you know, just the competition, competing at this high level with so much on the line and against such extraordinary people and, like, that. I, I would say if if I have any magic goal right now in terms of, you know, wanting to achieve something, it would be getting back to the World Championship one day, however long that takes. Would you go as far as to say the goal is to become the World Champion at some point? I... Not really. I th- I think... I don't know. I guess that's a form of results-oriented thinking, which is not necessarily yeah, works out, right? It's, like, partially very results-orientated, and it's also hard to believe that I'd ever be good enough to, you know, earn something like that. Like, obviously, I'm good at the game, and I'm improving and stuff, but I don't think... I'm definitely not on that level now. And it's hard to imagine that I'd be capable of getting to that level. Mm-hmm. Um... Like, even given, you know, another five or ten years or whatever of improvement and practice. But I do think getting back to the World Championship is something that's attainable, but will also take, you know, a lot of work and focus and improvement to get to to that point. So, feels feels more realistic to me. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair answer. And, uh... Do you think about your legacy as a magic competitor? Like, do you have goals about 
wanting to now everyone feels differently about this so I, I don't know how you feel personally about the hall of fame but like would you like to be in the hall of fame one day would you like to to have some sort of legacy beyond you know when you stop playing magic so i don't really care about like the hall of fame or whatever like <laughs> if yeah. if i earn the results where i deserve to be in it that would be extraordinary and i'd be over the moon and so happy and it would mean a lot uh -huh. to me but like ultimately if i don't earn the results that i'd need to earn that place and deserve that place then you know that's that doesn't that's not gonna break my heart or anything it's fine you know okay um it's not a goal for me it's not something i'm really aiming for it's just something that like if it happens that's very good and if it doesn't then hey that's not surprising it doesn't happen for most people it's fine <laughs> yeah I guess, I guess it's for like the hall of fame is was a very specific example that i used but yeah. the question will be more about like you know because you broke ground you know by being mm. the first person to win you know the highest level events as a as a uh, someone who identifies as transgender sorry yeah. i'm not very good with these terms so hopefully i haven't it's fine. uh You're good. mis misidentified this but like you know there's things like that that you've you've essentially I mean, no one can take that away from you. You made history mm -hmm. as as a magic player in some ways. So, are are there ways that maybe maybe it, like maybe there's things you're doing on the battlefield to use magic speak, but also things away from the battlefield that you know you feel passionate about achieving or maybe leaving behind when all is said and done. I don't. I don't think. Yeah, you know, I would. I would like to be remembered for my accomplishments on some level, because mm -hmm. I do think they matter in terms of like. You know, trans people getting the success in these sorts of events. It, you know, that sort of representation means a lot. It helps make it make a difference in its own way. Um, I think think more than that. I guess I would like to be remembered as uh, as a good person who tried to have who tried and is trying to have a positive influence on the community in some way and mm -hmm. you know someone who was just trying their best i guess <laughs> <laughs> that's good yeah I i'm sorry if my line of question is like you know maybe it's a little bit more more grandiose than any any reasonable human being expects because I, I i don't operate i personally don't operate with this ego like you know oh what am how are people going to remember me when i'm when I stop playing magic, but I, I, I do wonder about that, you know, for, for people who have achieved the highest level of results, such as, such as you. Uh, and so that it was just more of a question of curiosity. Uh, hopefully that you don't, that, that's all, that's how I, I intend by that. Not trying to put any, any words in your mouth. I get it. It's okay. <laughs> is it okay if we sort of conclude with a couple of rapid fire questions? Is that, is that okay? Of course. Not, I'll be related. Okay. All right. Yeah. Random question. Number one. The legacy format. This is one of my favorite formats. I know you are a huge proponent of legacy. Uh, you have said that some of your favorite cards are Wasteland Days and you're a blue mage, so that you know makes sense. Uh, you played in Julian Knob's Legacy Premier League. Julian's a, a good friend of mine. So explain your love of legacy and uh, you know why you're involved in it. And you know, yeah, just just explain your involvement with legacy because it's not something that a lot of 
pros play because there's no there's no high stakes tournaments but i i'm really curious about your level of involvement there i have loved legacy ever since i first started playing it you know a few months into learning the game in general i really love i really love playing with the blue decks i think they're a lot of fun i think you know brainstorm is just a very mechanically fun and interesting card to play with actually just makes for good games because it means people you know, have pretty decent uh, access to various different resources and distributions of resources, and it gives people a lot of decision-making. Um, I think the variety of decks in Legacy is really exciting. You look at all these, like, silly pet decks people have, like a Lurin or Nickfit or Cephalid Breakfast or Pox or Stacks. Like, all these weird niche decks have these, like, very defined personalities to them in a way that they don't in other magic formats for me which makes it really really enjoyable feels like legacy has this like really clear clear identity in a bunch of ways i really just love getting to you know be involved in magic's history you know hold a volcanic island in your hand or whatever is just like really exciting to me see all these like weird and wonderful designs from the early days of magic that like maybe shouldn't have existed in terms of being like too powerful or you know doing a thing you shouldn't be doing in the game like maybe brainstorm and wasteland shouldn't exist maybe they're too good but it's really exciting to play with all these cards got it i really like your your answer there because it I think it, it's a lot of perspective too because, you know, when people, as a legacy player, when I hear people complain about, actually a lot of legacy players complain about 2019, 2020 cards because they're all over legacy now as well, uh, you know, for being powerful haymakers. But it is interesting because, you know, magic is always defined by the most powerful cards at any time. It's like legacy is basically the history of design mistakes <laughs> or push cards uh, in magic's history. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm pretty sure that like Richard Garfield didn't intend, uh, you know, for Ancestral Recall to be so much better than Healing Cell. But you know, here we are, and you know, Ancestral Vision. You, I mean, Anse- sorry, Ancestral Recall. You have to play that in a vintage blue deck. It's just it's a staple. Uh, but but like, there's a lot of unintended consequences of Magic design, and it's sort of nice to to um, to be to be involved in formats that celebrate it. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. we lose perspective when we're thinking about maybe the standard or modern format and how like push some of the cards are but like that's sort of always been the case in magic's history there's always going to be top tier cards and medium cards and terrible cards (laughs) it's just the way it is yeah yeah i i just love getting to play with like that's part of it i love getting to play with these like design mistakes that through some fluke happen to make for really interesting compelling games of magic like you look at like some of the cards you play in these legacy decks and it like it's kind of surprising but then you sit down and play and the games are so rewarding and have so many like tough decision points and there's so many weird interactions between the different decks and i love it yeah what is the wildest match of Legacy you've played that you can you can think of? It's probably not the ones where you just go like turn one, you know, days wasteland, force of will, and you know, like doing the Delver thing. But uh, 
yeah, like what what comes to mind in terms of like the the wildest game or match? Uh, I used the the one that sticks out to me is um, always sticks out to me is I used to have a mono black pox built. That was my first legacy deck, which uh, mm-hmm. is not a very competitive <laughs> deck, but I loved it. You know, discard spells, dark rituals, Liliana of the Veils, cursed scrolls, never spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was playing against Mike's Coreblade deck. He had a blue-white Coreblade deck, which was kind of blue-white mm-hmm. control, but it had the Stoneforge, Squadron mm-hmm. Hawk equipment package too. Um, and uh, I ended up ultimating a Liliana like four times in a single game. <laughs> or something <laughs> stupid. And this is where they have to pick the two piles, and, and you, yeah. you, one of them is, is, is intact, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah pick two piles they keep one sack the other you know i ultimated this liliana like four times cast all these sinkholes and removal spells we got to the point where there were like 15 cards left in his deck and he had no mana producing lands in play and he realized that he doesn't also would have no mana producing lands left in his deck (laughs) and just naturally decked out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> from like having all his lands blown up and sacrificed over the course of this game and it was it's complete absurdity <laughs> yeah it's just this complete battle of attrition right mm-hmm. um, and yeah my next question for you how would you rank the different types of content in terms of your preferences for example streaming writing articles doing a podcast uh creating a video uh and whatnot like when it comes to magic like do you have a clear hierarchy of preferences for creating content uh streaming is definitely my favorite way of creating content for a few different reasons um it i really love being able to talk and interact with people directly you know, people come in my chat and talk to me, and I get to respond to them in real time, and that's really exciting. It's something you don't get to do with other forms of content that you make, right? So that's really appealing to me. Um, it's also just something that's, like, very easy to make a large amount of. Um, mm-hmm. You just want to play some magic, so you fire up the stream, and people will come watch because you're streaming, and they want to hang out or watch some good magic or whatever. Um so streaming is definitely my favorite i really enjoy writing articles and i think i'm actually like pretty good at it i'm i've been improving and i think i've gotten to the point where i'm just like very happy with the quality of my articles um but there's like a very strict upper limit on how much i can do partially is uh they take a lot of time and effort like i my my bi-weekly article for scg i basically set aside a whole day for it and it will probably only end up in practice taking you know six or seven hours to write Mm -hmm. but it's very draining and kind of just takes out the rest of the day as a result because you know maybe i need some breaks and then afterwards i'm not feeling up to doing much else because it is this very intense process and there's also just this upper limit on how much I can write because there's only so many ideas I want to write about, only so many decks I want to write about and stuff. So I really love writing, um, but there are certain restrictions that like kind of stop it being my favorite. Uh, podcasts are enjoyable. I 
never really found a podcast setup that has like fully worked for me long term as like a mm-hmm. regular thing and maybe one day i do and if i do that would be really exciting but you know i haven't quite found that yet why do you think that is like is it just uh I- i'm curious like is it is it just maybe the the scheduling or is it like the the topics the themes or is it is it something else it's a few different things uh partially the scheduling i know that's something i found really tough on my previous podcast prove i was on proven combatants which is a wonderful podcast very much encourage people to check it out um i i did about like 60 or 70 episodes on it before stopping and part of the tough thing for me was the scheduling where like there were four different hosts all in different time zones and all of whom would have different responsibilities and jobs and trying to find a slot where it could fit in and not like disrupt my sleep schedule or disrupt my streaming or whatever is just very tough mm-hmm. um so that's part of it uh the other other part of it is i've never found the perfect environment in terms of like if you're talking about like magic podcasts i've never found the right i i want to feel like i me and the person i'm talking to are talking on like the same level i guess and that's something that's like can be kind of hard to find because a lot of people are you know maybe going to be a bit worse than you and you're yeah. going to feel like you're spending a lot of time explaining things rather than discussing them as a result. Yeah. And there's kind of the same thing where if I do a podcast with someone who's better than me, it's going to be like the same sort of dynamic where instead of getting to discuss things properly, they're going to have to explain things to me. Um, which I, d- I think is less enjoyable to record and personally I find less enjoyable to listen to. You know, I, I listen to podcasts partially for the interpersonal dynamics and you know the people mm, yep. interacting with each other and bouncing off each other and stuff um i think i just haven't really found the right environment for that quite yet yeah i appreciate that honest answer like that that really does at, at least with mtg strategy podcasts that's often a huge issue is like you have you have people that are like different under levels of understanding of the game and so when they debate or do something it's hard because it the information isn't very just honestly isn't very good if that's the case but it's it's almost impossible to have like two hosts that are like simpatico or basically you have to have like um if i think about limited resources it's like um it's sort of like a role roles have to be developed and sometimes those roles are i'm not trying to call it luis or marshall or anything but it's like luis is clearly like the more skilled player and marshall is kind of like the straight man it's almost like they're doing commentary it's like you have to have a color commentator and you have to have a uh play by play and it's like um that dynamic is very important i think they have it done they have it down really well but i'm just saying it's it's really hard to to do and i and my understanding is that 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 podcast they went through several iterations of the years too before kind of finding their spot so Mm. yeah yeah um uh, sorry, I, I really interrupted you there. So you were talking about uh, the podcasting as being one of the one of the mediums, uh, you know, in terms of the content. Mm. Yeah, it, it's definitely not my favorite one, um, but maybe one day I'll find the right sort of setup for it. Uh, I I just really 
you know, if if someone came, if a sponsor came to me and said, we will pay you to make videos of magic, I would do it. But it's not something okay. I act actively go out and do on my own because I just think it, in my head, I think of it as just worse streaming from a mm -hmm. content creator perspective. Like, I just find it more fun to be able to sit down and have people interacting with me whilst I play magic so that I can yeah. interact with them and have that dynamic. Like, for me personally, vi making a video is just worse than sitting down to stream. So I would do it if I was being paid for it, but I'm not going to choose to just go out and do it. <laughs> got, got necessarily. it. Necessarily. Got it. Yeah, I guess some people they record their streams and then do it as a uh, upload it to YouTube later, but it's mm. uh it, it's not quite as like well developed as like okay, I'm doing a video because yeah. I have a script and uh okay. What are things about streaming that uh you've learned from doing it so much? Cuz you're you're quite the the veteran by now. Like what are what are things that maybe some words of wisdom or perspective you would give to, uh, you know, new streamers who are, who are trying to do something, you know, anything gaming related, basically. It's strange. Cause like I have streamed a lot and I definitely learned a lot, but I also feel like I have a ton to learn. Um, I still don't feel like I'm necessarily that good at it yet, but you know, obviously I have built up my audience who enjoy watching me. Um, I would say some big things, uh, one of them is you, to some extent, have to be streaming for yourself. Like, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, uh, people will be able to tell and they'll find it less enjoyable as a result. So, you know, you have to be doing what you enjoy and engaging with it on that level. Um, and if you're not enjoying things and you have to change what you're doing, then sure some of your audience is going to drift away as a result but a lot of the people who really enjoy watching your content for you are still going to watch it because you know it's still going to have you and you're going to be happier so they're going to enjoy it even more um so that's like a big thing i very much recommend to people that's probably like the biggest thing in my mind to be honest just Make sure that however you're engaging with it is is good for you and enjoyable for you and feels rewarding on some level. Nice. Well, Autumn, that is actually all the questions I had for today. So um, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk. And uh, do you have any shout outs or any, anything you want to mention that or anything you want to talk about that maybe we hadn't didn't have a chance to, to touch on? People who want to watch my stream, it is Autumn Lily MTG on Twitch. Uh, I also have a Twitter that I post on under the same name, which is like probably the easiest way to get in contact with me. Th th those are probably like the two big things. I I can't think of like anything else to mention right now, but really appreciate you having me on. I've been a fan of the podcast for a little while. Always enjoy firing it up and listening to whoever the most recent guest has been thank you i appreciate that i'm still super grateful for you taking the time to write the introduction to the humans of magic book you're welcome and uh i you know if we are gonna do a volume two of the book at some point uh i will definitely make sure this interview gets into that book 
and hopefully you're okay with that. <laughs> of course, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much, and uh, I hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans and Magic. To get more information about the show and to join the mailing list, please visit humansandmagic.com. And don't forget, the Humans and Magic book is now available on Amazon for both paperback and Kindle. We'll see you next time.